Early morning, March 6th, 1836, San Antonio, Texas. Unbeknownst to the 180 or so Texans defending the Alamo within its walls, four columns of Mexican infantry and cavalry are advancing from every cardinal direction, north, south, east, and west. For all of the defenders inside the Alamo, and over 600 of the Mexican soldiers attacking, they are about to live the last 90 minutes of their lives. My name is Jason Dias, and welcome to the Battle of the Alamo. the longest-running, most successful banking podcast in American history, The Power Performance, the show that asked the question, if your banking brand were a band, would you leave the audience wanting more? But in truth, I am first and foremost a historian. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. I attended and graduated from the University of Texas at San Antonio, and I have been studying and interested and fascinated in the Battle of the Alamo for my entire life. Now, I will tell you that if you're attending the conference with the ICBA, the Independent Community Bankers Association of America, I first want to commend them for selecting San Antonio as a conference site. I spent 10 years as a professional speaker, and I spoke all over the country and, in fact, all over the world. And there is no doubt in my mind that San Antonio, Texas, is the best place to hold a conference. So welcome to the free state of Texas, republic thereof, and I'm so glad you're here. And if you are able to, and I hope you will, some of you may have already visited it once before, go visit the Alamo. And if you can, do so at night. There are so many myths and legends associated with the Alamo owing to books and movies and articles and things like that, that I want to tell you that you cannot learn everything about the Battle of the Alamo just by going to it once by doing a Google search, reading a book, or listening to one podcast episode. There is a lot of complex history about the Alamo that is very fascinating. Today, on this episode, I simply want to talk to you about the thing that everyone wants to know about, the Battle of the Alamo, the reason that the Alamo is Famous. The reason that that facade you see when you walk up to the Alamo is arguably the most recognizable facade of any building on planet Earth with the exception of the White House. What happened there in the early morning in the dark, March 6th, 1836, has resonated through history, Texas history, American history, Mexican history, and world history history since the morning of the battle. It is my goal to simply let you know that where you are standing when you go to visit the Alamo, if you're able to during the conference, you are standing on hallowed ground where brave soldiers on both sides died in the 
hundreds. Specifically, where you are standing when you're looking at the Alamo, this is where some of the most brutal hand-to-hand fighting occurred. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, and I hope you are while you're facing the Alamo, for the sake of understanding where everything is on the morning of March 6th, 1836, just for a second, and I've include only one, included only one picture for this podcast. If you want to take a screenshot of it and look at it while you're listening, it might help with some of the context. But standing out in front of that facade of the Alamo, the chapel or the sacristy, as it was known on the morning of the battle, you have a perfect view to understand everything that's about to happen. Now, if you look straight ahead, you're looking almost directly east. The facade of the Alamo faces the west, but when you're looking at it, you're looking east. To your left, obviously, it is north. That is very significant. That's going to play a very important part in understanding that during the Battle of the Alamo, of course, to your right is the south. And if you sort of look over your right shoulder and kind of turn just a little bit back towards San Fernando Cathedral, an eight-minute walk from where you're standing, that is where the Mexicans are headquartered. It is also where the 18-pound cannon is faced facing the Mexican army, and there's a nice replica of that there at the Alamo. I do not know if you can see it at night. It's been some time since I've actually been on the inside of the Alamo. There is a new exhibit there called the Palisade. If you're from Tennessee, this is where the former congressman from Tennessee, Davy Crockett, and his men will do their fighting. Okay, so you're looking at the facade. I hope you go at night. Now, you can go during the day because there's a lot of great stuff that you can see on the inside of the Alamo as well, but the battle happens at night. Now, If you look behind you, if you look to the west, what you can't see anymore is if you go about 150 feet, that's where the west wall of the Alamo would have been located. There were about four or five cannon that were facing that direction. That is also very, very important. Much has been made about how many cannon the Texans had at the Alamo. However, as you're about to find out, during the battle, they didn't really play a huge role. I believe that those cannon probably only fired once or twice. Again, it is very important to remember that the battle happens at night. There is no night vision goggles. There is no radar of any kind. Santa Ana, being very shrewd, had actually stopped firing at the Alamo on this night for the first time in almost two weeks. And so naturally, the Texans were finally glad to be able to get some sleep at night. And it worked out very, very well. Now, the other thing that's important to know, if you look to the left. Out to the left was the cattle pen, and there was a very low wall there. If you study that map that I have for the episode description, it will uh, it'll always be a mystery to me why Santa Ana didn't just simply attack right there. It was the most lightly defended part of the Alamo, and yet that is not where there's some fighting goes on there, but not as much as in the place that you're standing. The walls at the Alamo were about 12 feet high, uh, maybe 9 to 12 feet high in most places. And so as you're going to find out, the Texans, I believe, really thought they could hold out as long as necessary in those days because of the way battles were fought. 
Imagine, if you will, you're a Mexican soldier. There are some officers from, you know, well-bred families in Mexico that have been trained in what is referred to as the Napoleonic style of fighting. Basically, that means you line up shoulder to shoulder and you march forward. Just imagine like a high school band on, on the field at halftime. That's how the soldiers moved in those days. Santa Anna even called himself the Napoleon of the West, and he sent his army forward in that style, close together, arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder. Because the rifles that were used in those days were very unreliable and very inaccurate, it was believed that you had to mass your men together so that when you fired, hopefully somebody would hit something. Well, let's get started with the battle. Let's start, if you turn around, the Mexicans are coming from the west, they're coming from the south, they're coming from the east, and they're coming from the north from all directions. There's actually a couple of Texans outside who are supposed to warn the Texans on the inside, but again, they fall asleep and they're killed before they can sound the warning. Now, the Mexicans approach the walls very quickly, and as they get close to the walls, they begin to yell, Viva Santa Ana. You you can do everything you can to be quiet, but the uniforms they wore in those days, the weapons that they carried, there's no plastic, there's no Kevlar, it's metal and steel. Those things make noises, and of course, it awakens the Texans within the Alamo, and they begin to fire into these tightly clumped groups of Mexican soldiers. Now, let's go back to the cannon for a minute. There's a small little cannon there on the Palisade exhibit that you can see, but the cannons were of different sizes. Now, the Texans had a lot of cannons. What they didn't have were a lot of cannon balls. The cannon that are facing out They have been stuffed with door hinges and nails and uh, chopped up horseshoes. These are basically now just big 18, 12, and 10-pound shotguns. And when they are fired, initially, they do devastating damage. There is no ER to take people to. There is no medical treatment on the battlefield. If you are hit in the chest or in the abdomen part of your body, you're going to die. If you don't die immediately, you're going to die of infection, a terrible slow death over the next few days. I believe a significant majority of the Mexican casualties happen behind you as they attack the Western Wall. Worse still, as the Mexicans get closer to the wall, the Mexican artillery decide to fire as well. And is the case with most people that fire artillery at night, the rounds either go harmlessly over the Alamo, hitting the Mexicans on the other side, most of the rounds impact near the walls exactly where the Mexican soldiers are gathering. I believe at least 30% of the Mexican casualties the night of the Battle of the Alamo were from friendly fire, were from their own forces. Again, it's at night. Um, The conscripts that are being sent forward are from the interior of Mexico. They've basically been taken from their homes and drafted and pressed into service. 
and they're led by Mexican officers. The Mexicans actually have the cavalry on all four sides of the Alamo, not just to capture any Texans that try to run away, but to also kill any Mexican soldiers that turn and try to run. Now, as I said, most historical documents say the battle lasted for about 90 minutes. I think that's probably pretty accurate. But as somebody who has experienced combat, I can also tell you that time plays tremendous tricks on you in a very stressful situation like combat. But I do believe an hour, an hour and a half is accurate. So the Mexicans are taking just devastating fire from the walls. But again, I don't believe those cannons fired more than one or two rounds. The the Mexicans kept meticulous records of what they took away from the Alamo. And we're thinking there was probably 180, 190 Texans on the inside. And it's kind of funny because in today's world, the, the Texans that are within the Alamo are technically the illegal aliens. Texas and San Antonio in 1836 are legitimately part of Mexico. They are basically illegal aliens who have taken over what is essentially Mexican property. Now, on all sides of the walls, the Mexicans are taking a beating. Uh, the, the Mexicans recovered 800 rifles. My guess is that the Texans probably had three or four rifles ready to go as soon as the attack started. The, the rifles that were used in these days, those long rifles that you can actually see at the Alamo if you're able to go during the day and take a tour, it's not like modern weapons where you shoot and then you get to shoot again. It's a laborious process. You've got to open up a paper cartridge. You got to pour this, you know, gunpowder down into the barrel or into a little pan and you have to push the ball down in there with the ramrod and you've got to light a wick on. You just got to hope it works. I'm convinced that probably no matter how hard they tried, it's very cold on this night. It might have been a little damp. I'm guessing probably at least a quarter of those rifles don't fire the first time. So you pick up the next rifle and you fire. But I'm guessing every Texan probably had a few rifles at his disposal, not to mention shotguns and and pistols and things like that. The Mexicans get on the walls very, very quickly, but the cannons have caused them to become a bit confused and in the darkness, quite by accident, three of the columns that are supposed to be attacking from the west and from the east and from the north, so from behind you to your left and beyond the facade of the Alamo that you're looking at, In their confusion, they all converge on the north wall. If you'll look to your left, if you'll look to your left, I would say about 400 feet away from there, you can see Houston Street when you're standing there at the Alamo. If you look up over at Houston Street and a little to your, over your left shoulder, that is where the Mexicans make a huge breach in the wall. In fact, the general leading that part of the Mexican army actually gets over the wall, gets down off the wall and opens the door basically to the entire fort and the Mexican soldiers. Again, these three columns have converged into one, come pouring 
into the Alamo. This is one of the reasons I think the battle might not have been an hour and a half, but the whole thing, you know, collecting all the gear and and making sure all the Texans were put to death, I think that whole process may have taken an hour and a half, but I think the actual fighting was probably less than an hour. So now we've got a problem for the Texans. The Mexicans are not only inside the walls coming in from the north, but as the Texans began to begin to retreat back to where you're standing when you're looking at the Alamo, now there's nobody left on those walls. And the second wave of Mexicans have very little trouble getting over the walls in all directions. As I mentioned, the Mexicans coming from the south have all converged on the west and northern wall. So that palisade that you're looking at to your right, I don't believe Davy Crockett and his guys fired a whole lot of rounds out from that location. I believe most of their fighting occurred by firing into where you're standing. That area where you're standing, it is very likely, especially if you're from Tennessee, that you're within, I would say, from home plate to second base of where Davy Crockett actually died. Now, you may have seen movies, you may have heard things that Davy Crockett survived the battle. I do not believe that is true. As a historian, you have to go through all the documents and you have to think, who was the most credible eyewitness? In this case, the most credible eyewitness at the time of the battle, during the fighting, is hiding in the chapel with her children. Her husband is the head of artillery. Her name is Susanna Dickinson. Her husband, Almiron Dickinson, is going to be one of the last Texans killed in the Battle of the Alamo. He is manning the cannon on the back wall of the chapel. As you're looking at the facade of the Alamo, you couldn't see him. The roof was not completed in 1836. It was open to the night air, but there was a cannon that was placed facing out the back and a couple of smaller ones, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But Susanna Dickinson says she saw Davy Crockett dead between the chapel building and the palisade and the uh, the stockade where they were keeping the cattle and the horses and things like that off to your left. And again, we're relying on one one person, but she was old enough to remember this, and it was an account that she never changed. Now, some people have said, oh, no, people uh, saw Davy Crockett. First of all, a Mexican soldier would not know Davy Crockett by sight. Okay, the Mexican soldier is not going to say, oh, wait, wait, don't kill this guy. It's Davy Crockett. I follow him on Instagram. No such thing. I believe absolutely categorically that Davy Crockett died in the Battle of the Alamo. He did not survive. If there were any survivors, maybe a couple of the survivors tried to claim they were Davy Crockett, hoping, hoping that they would get favorable treatment from the Mexicans. But again, the other thing that I want you to keep in mind about the battle is nobody really knows because all the Texans die. Now, where you're standing, looking at the Alamo, the Mexicans are pouring in. And again, remember, you shoot one shot with your rifle and that's it. Where you are standing, just imagine the deafening clatter and clanking and the thud of rifle butts and saber strokes and knife slashing and yelling and screaming. The Mexicans have been 
pulverized, okay? They are not in any mood to take any prisoners. They're not in any mood to give any quarter. In fact, they know, the Mexicans have already said, you will now be treated as traitors again that 19th century. You know, the, the Mexican army is, is modeled after the Napoleonic armies and the British armies, and the the treatment or the sentence for traitors is death. And so there's really no option there. I really don't think uh, any Texans survived that battle. Um, there are some accounts of one person who tried to shield himself behind Mrs. Dickinson, uh, but she, he was killed. He was killed. Uh, a small child who stood up in the sacristy was mistaken for a soldier. He was also killed. The only survivors that we really know of are Susanna Dickinson, the commander of the Alamo, had a slave. He survived. Uh, Colonel Travis, the commander of the Alamo, was widely believed to be one of the first casualties of the Alamo. And so now as this battle is collecting towards the place that you're standing, it's not over quite yet. The Texans do what people do. They retreat into the building to try to get away from this onslaught of Mexican soldiers. Remember, this, the soldiers that were coming from the east, which is what the direction you're looking at when you're facing the facade, they've gotten confused in the they've, they've gotten confused. I'm such a Texan. And they've gotten confused. They're coming in now. Why would you climb the wall when there's a door open? And so the Texans barricade themselves basically within the chapel, the building that you're looking at. However, the Mexicans go and take that 18-pound cannon that had been facing towards San Fernando Cathedral to the southwest and use it to destroy the makeshift barricade the Texans have made trying to protect themselves within the chapel. And so at the last part of the battle is in the chapel. And again, just more vicious hand-to-hand fighting. The, the balance of the battle is basically the Mexicans going around and just making sure every single one of the Texans is dead. As I mentioned, there's so much myth and so much legend. And I will tell you, as a Texan growing up in San Antonio, you're told that the Texans were the good guys and the Mexicans were the bad guys. I don't want to make any judgments about that as a historian. I can tell you the bravery on both sides needs to be respected and acknowledged. People forget that uh, Mexico is a huge country in 1836, and and 10 years later, the United States and Mexico will go to war. Um, All of it owing to these issues of the border in southwest Texas. You are in a very, very historically rich and diverse part of the country when you're in San Antonio. So, back to the Alamo Final part of the battle occurs right where you're looking at within the chapel. Because I went to school at the University of Texas at San Antonio, we would get a lot of guest speakers coming in and talking about issues of the Southwest and the borderlands. And one day we had a professor that came in from another university to talk about the battle from the perspective of the Mexicans. And it was very, very interesting. But he ruined it at the end by saying, well, had there been a back door at the Alamo, all the Texans would have gotten away. Well, folks, there was a back door to the Alamo. 
as I mentioned, as you're looking at the facade of the Alamo, if you could walk through it on the night of the battle, there is a place, a little ramp that goes up where there's a cannon pointing out towards the east, and the wall there is not very high. Had anybody wanted to, they could have run up that ramp, jumped over that wall, and they could have taken off and run for dear life towards the east. Now, as I mentioned, the Mexican cavalry was on guard for all of this, but the truth of the matter is, and we don't know exactly how many Texans died at the Battle of the Alamo, none of them tried to use the back door. I encourage you to do some Google research on this. Do some, do some further reading on the Battle of the Alamo. It is very, very instructive. And to apply it to the world that you're in today, in your banking life, a couple of things. First and foremost, the Alamo, that chapel that you're looking at, is iconic. Is your banking brand iconic? When people see your colors or see your logo, do they know, ex- do they know exactly who you are? Do they know exactly what you're all about? That, that facade of the Alamo is used all over Texas. Alamo Plumbing, you know, Alamo Restaurant, Alamo Hotel, Alamo Tortillas, you see it everywhere. I saw it just the other day, Alamo Roofing, and of course that familiar outline at the top of the chapel, the facade, which wasn't even there the morning of the battle. The other thing that you can use to apply to your banking brand is this. The Alamo was a stationary target, and a stationary target is always a vulnerable target. Is your bank stationary or are you constantly evolving and moving because there are things coming at you from all four directions? You obviously have the competition of the credit unions. You have the competition of cryptocurrency. You've got the competition of fintechs. You've got the competition from everything else. The people that run these fintechs, the people that are trying to get your customers to move money into cryptocurrency, they are coming for the next generation of car and home borrowers and buyers. They're coming to make you history, to make sure that you are not left. And so you must do something dynamic. You cannot be stationary. So be iconic and be dynamic, and defend what is yours. Defend your brand proudly. I get so irritated when I hear credit unions talking about how bad banks are. They've got their big conference going on right now at the GAC, and I work in both worlds, but I do not like it when the credit unions say that banks are bad because banks are people, human beings, Americans that get up and go to work every day, and people are not generally bad. The Battle of the Alamo is one of the most important moments in American history before Texas is even part of America. I encourage you to look up the letter from Colonel Travis that he addressed to Americans of the world. I think he realized that the Battle of the Alamo, this little Spanish and then Mexican fort, would play an outsized role of importance in Mexican, Texan, American, and world history. 
I want to welcome you to San Antonio, Texas, or welcome back. I hope you will have a chance to tour the Alamo during the day. Maybe if you have a break between some of the conference sessions, it's something you can do in about an hour and a half. There's a great model in there, a great rendering of the battlefield that I always enjoy. And I want to thank you for listening to the Battle of the Alamo and remind you that you can listen to the Power Performance Podcast every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio, or you can just say, Alexa, play the Power Performance Podcast on TuneIn. My name is Jason Dias. I'm a proud Texan and a proud American. And until next we speak, I'll talk to you all soon. Take care and remember the Alamo.